Welcome to FTA Tax Breaks, a podcast by the Federation of Tax Administrators where we talk about uh, timely topics in uh, society and government and talk about how they apply to departments of revenue and to working in government and, and how we kind of conduct this really important work. And uh, as, as usual, I'm FTA's Chief Operating Officer, Ryan Minnick, and I'm joined today by two incredible women, uh, two guests that I've gotten to know pretty well over the last couple of years. Uh, got with me Dia Harris, the Communications Director for the North Carolina Department of Revenue, and Rebecca Lopez-Chris, who is the Deputy Commissioner for Communications and many other things for the Philadelphia Department of Revenue. And we're going to talk a little bit about communications in government today because I think that is a, a misunderstood and often little appreciated mechanism of government because in every other industry, and of course, my dirty secret is one of my degrees is in advertising. So I did work, did my stint in the corporate world. And in the corporate world, you're talking to people who want to hear from you. And that's not always the case in government. And so I think this, this story is a, a story we should tell. So before we get into the comms part, I think it's really important to, for everybody to get to know our guests. So why don't, uh, Dia, why don't you kick us off, share a little bit about your professional background, how you arrived at the Department of Revenue, and then we'll ask Rebecca to do the same, and then we'll talk a little bit more about the work that you both do. All right, well, thank you, and thank you so much for um, inviting me to participate and uh, represent the North Carolina Department of Revenue. I will say that my relevant uh, career started in television, oh gosh, a long, long time ago. <laughs> and I spent about 20 years do doing television and uh, did some radio during that time. And then eventually um, moved into uh, the government sector, working with the city of Raleigh um, in their sustainability office, first as the uh, community um, outreach and engagement uh, person, and then with their uh, communications staff, that, that communications department. And then my last four and a half years with the city of Raleigh was as the public affairs manager for the Raleigh Police Department. And boy, did I learn a lot there. And I was there during the height of the protests in the aftermath of the George Floyd killing. Um, so learning to communicate and reach your audiences um, it was very, very, um, it was fluid. We, had, we were learning as we were going. Um, and then right on the heels, uh, as the protests were dying down, we had the, the pandemic outbreak, COVID. So my time with the police department, as I said, it was really a time of learning and growing and really understanding the importance and the impact that government communications have. I was then uh, contacted by the North Carolina Department of Revenue, the Secretary of the Department of Revenue, um, regarding a position that was available, and that being their public affairs director. He had actually been um, a professor of mine, either undergraduate or graduate, I don't recall which program, but because I did undergrading some grad work at North Carolina Central University. And so when I found out about the position, I went on and interviewed and applied and interviewed. So I've been there ever since. Awesome. Rebecca? 
Well, first I want to say thank you, Ryan, for inviting me to be part of the panel with Dia and um, be able to, you know, share the stage with uh, another remarkable woman. Um, I have a funny background. I originally worked in sales and I sold managed IT systems. And that one of the business development things that we did was we got very involved with like local civic local civic life, chamber of commerce, all sorts of things. And um, I started to realize that like sales and selling managed IT services just probably wasn't going to be what was going to be fulfilling for me. So I eventually went back to grad school. I have a degree in public policy and um, found myself at the city of Philadelphia. I actually started my life in Philadelphia at the Department of Commerce, which is essentially it's all sales right you're selling everything about the city like how to grow your business come to philly like let me tell you all about why it's so great to be here and i could tell you that for hours um but then i did that for about five years and the i don't know if many listeners will remember but the city of philadelphia was the first large city to pass a beverage tax or a soda tax and i was poached by the department of revenue to uh, help implement implement the beverage tax and that was my first experience and that was really interesting it was an interesting project because not only um, was it a completely new sort of world but um, people loved or hated that tax and so you're I was walking into public meetings where like I was hissed at or um, you know booed or you know so it was like quite uh quite the experience the learning moments um and i but you know life it was very good i flourished i flourished here at revenue and um i've been here seven years and kind of still really love it like it's never a dull day i'll say that so awesome well and i saw dia smiling at certain parts of this and I, before we started recording dia shared that she was originally from philly so i didn't even couldn't have planned that better i can't take credit for it did not even occur to me when we were talking about the podcast to, that there would be that in common. But it's, um, yeah, the soda tax. That was, I remember that, the controversy around that. That was quite, um, yeah. as you said, very polarizing. Right. You loved it or you hated it. And people would, I'd meet people on the street and they'd say, what do you do? And I'd say, oh, I'm the most hated woman in Philadelphia. And <laughs> they would either give me a high five because they love the tax and they love what that tax does for the city. Or they would say, you know, you're not taking my soda. And I was like, no, of course not. That's not how this works. Um, so, you know, it was, it was, I, it was every bit of my like sales smile, kill them with kindness, like uh, mantra. Fantastic. Well, that kind of gets into our next, our next question. And I think, you know, this might be my own bias having, you know, coming out of the advertising and marketing world advertising, marketing, communications, words that are thrown around way too much. They're often conflated. In in your words, uh, panelists, like let's talk about what actual community, what the art of communications is. I think there's an art and a science to it, but what define communications as it relates to the work that your agency does. And then we'll talk a little bit about some of the projects that, that you've worked on recently. So Rebecca, why don't you start us off this time? Sure. Um... You know, I think of communications, you know, there, there's marketing and advertising are all sort of subsets of what it is that you're doing. 
But for the Philadelphia Department of Revenue, we think of communications as every touch point that you might have with the customer so or the taxpayer. And that includes walking into our public facilities, what the signage looks like, um, how, the wayfinding. Um, that means every form that somebody might come across, all of the instructions. Um, it's it of course your website and your social media and all that sort of thing but videos and 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 also i think of communications as the is is outreach like the one-on-one -on -one community events um tabling at, at at a church fair showing up whenever and anywhere that someone wants to talk to us about what it is we do in the past we have like pre-COVID, I mean, it was not unusual for us to attend 350 events in a year and have staff in person. And so it's it's every which way that someone might talk to us and 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 have a touch point. So is it, is it a flyer? Is it the letter? Is it whatever? Like that, we're sending a, a message one way or another. Right. And I, I agree with everything Rebecca said, and I would add to that. Um, even to the way we present ourselves, right? As she said at a tabling event, um, how we uh, dis how the table is set up, the roll-up banners, the tablecloth with the logos on it, things of that sort. And our we know that our audience is not just our external audience. It's not just our taxpayers. It is also our internal audience, right? We want to make sure that the DOR staff knows everything that's going on before we even push it out to the public. And because they are our eyes and ears on the ground, whether they know it or not. So we want them to know everything that's going on and we want them to feel like they are actually a part of how we present ourselves and what we're communicating. So we want to make sure they have that information. Our audience is also our legislators. We need to let them know um, what's going on with the Department of Revenue and what we need in order to continue to collect taxes so that state services can be funded. Um, so we have, we, it's just a matter of also acknowledging the various audiences in all the ways that Rebecca mentioned. I think that's a great point because you know, we talk to, you know, for better or worse, we work in a political landscape. So you talk to, you, you talk to kind of all levels of government, but also, you know, we talk to taxpayers for whom English is not a first language, all the way to multinational global corporations who are headquartered here. And so we need to be very fluid within all of those audiences. So I think that's a great point. I think that's such a good point, especially because, like I mentioned at the very beginning, it's so different than the private sector, right? And and with rare exception, you know, companies or or you know brands, they're they're targeting, right? They're looking at a certain segment of the audience. And what's so unique about government, what I've always found fascinating, in that you know the eight years I've I've been in this space, is that everyone that lives within your physical boundary is your is your customer in in some way, shape, or form, and it's not stratified by you know, often by choice. I mean, you have a certain segment of the population in every city or every location where they choose to live somewhere. But for the most part, people, you know, born, live, raise their kids, get married, and, and die in the same place. And and that that wasn't a choice. That was their that's their environment that they're that they're brought up in. And so it's 
you have this just huge diversity of, of population, whether it's an individual taxpayer who, you know, English may not be their first language, to a multinational corporation who's made a business decision to locate an office in that place and all the downstream tax implications. And then the other part that you both touched on that I think is so special about revenue is that it's, it's a bipartisan topic. 90% plus of all dollars that go into government are routed through a revenue agency. And that revenue agency needs to collect those dollars regardless of what the political landscape is in a place. It's about administering the tax code fairly and taking that tax code that's established. It's, there's just, you, you, you both put such a, such a fine point on that. Um, so with that, how does, and, and Dee, I guess I'll ask you to answer this one first because you have your background in broadcast and then I know you were with the Raleigh Police Department before the, the Department of Revenue. What's some, something that's different about communications in government other than what we were just kind of talking about in terms of audience that makes it different from perhaps your time in broadcast? Like how is the, how are you, how do you have to apply your skill set differently in government in order to get the job done? I will, let me first by, uh, start by saying, even though I spent so much time in television, my um, degree is in political science with a concentration in public administration. And so this position, my position with the police department, this position here really is a, um, an opportunity to marry my knowledge, my skills, my experience, and all of that to bring it to bear for our clients. One of the things, um, we, I, since I was in television or since I left television, I've noticed television has become more of entertainment, even with the news, which is what I'm going to speak to mostly. Um, you know, no hate on Taylor Swift, but how does Taylor Swift attending the, 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 uh, the, the football game become national news? Because the bent is toward entertainment, there's nothing really informing the public about how it's going to impact them, what they need to know, what the plan is for them, how they can, um, whether it is protect themselves or uh, use information to benefit themselves. Um, none of that is, is what we're seeing, unfortunately, in a lot of the news that, we're, that, that goes on today. What I learned with um, moving into government communications is you always want to keep your audience informed and you have to establish yourself as the representative of that agency, as the undisputed professional. I've got the information you need and I don't get a second chance to get it right. I can't come back at the 6.30 news when I got it wrong in six o'clock and say, oh, got that wrong. I have, my credibility has to be intact at all times. And I have to use uh, in communications, you're using as many media outlets and, and platforms as possible at the same time and tailoring your information for those platforms and for those various audiences. Yeah, you don't get that. There's not that do-over culture that you get in a real-time environment. And that's, I think people don't necessarily understand how much effort goes into every bit of ink that is on a tax form or anything printed that you receive from a government office. So Rebecca, I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts. 
Well, I think to kind of follow up on one of Dia's points is that the difference with government communications is the obligation to to reach folks. And there's a great story. I, I love it. It's the blueberry teacher story. I don't know if you remember this, but there's a kind of a famous story in TED Talk where a, a businessman went to public schools and said, you know, if I ran this school, it would be totally different. And he was an ice cream maker. And then a teacher stood up and said, well, what if you, what do you do when you have bad blueberries? You can just get new blueberries and make great ice cream. But we in the public sector have to use all the blueberries. Like we have to reach everyone, right? Like we need, it is our obligation to the public to make sure that they understand their rights and their responsibilities. And I think it's a, it's a balance. And uh, one, you know, in Philadelphia, for example, the digital divide is real. And so it is not equitable to only use one mode of, com of communication that only part of the city might benefit from. And so, you know, we've, we've tried things, like we've um, experimented with like door to door does going door to door have a measurable impact with taxpayers who have delinquent real estate taxes? And I mean, I think that was an interesting project. We compared it to um, some control groups and ultimately um, it really depends. <laughs> but I mean, that was like, what are, throw it all at the wall, you know? And I think that's also different, I think from um, the private sector in that I think maybe not in every organization, but I think especially at the city, we are able to try wackier stuff. You know, we if it's if it's lean and mean, we can try it. Like, do you have the energy to try it? Go ahead, you should do that. You know, but but understanding the assignment, right? Is it who is it reaching? Are we are we getting to the corners? Are we um, are we engaging all all of the community organizations that we could be engaging and in the languages that we need to be engaging? You know, like just for example, Korean is not a language that we receive a lot of requests for over the phone for individual taxes, but there is a significant Korean population that might not be residents of Philadelphia, but they own businesses in Philadelphia. So you have to be cognizant of like kind of the data mismatch or like really dig in and, and get it, you know? Can I also add that with our communication, whether it is answering public records requests, which we have to do, or media inquiries, uh, or just pushing information out to the public, even up to the governor's office, there are privacy concerns that we always have to be aware of. And we have to adhere to those laws without wavering to the left or the right. And so that's, yeah, that's another thing with, that, that I find that, that was different with government communication than with uh, television or other communication from my personal experience, whereas it, you can't just push everything out there just to get the viewer or just to get your audience's attention. You have to do it, as Rebecca said, with a public servant's heart and with uh, respect to the laws, to the privacy laws, to what we can talk about, to not stepping into somebody else's lane, right? I can, well, you might need to talk to the state treasurer's office about that. I mean, we, we can't be a one-shop 
or one size fits all for all of government. And so knowing our lane and staying in it as well. Yeah, I mean, we're agnostic to the policy, right? Our job is to enforce the law. And when people in public are really want to debate the law with me, I always say, I have this on repeat in my back pocket, like, that sounds like a great conversation to have with your elected official. You know, like, I just, like, that's not my job. That's not my role. My role is to make sure that you know the rules and that you, that, that you're able to comply with them and that we have made it easy for you to comply with them. Yep. And that's one of the things that, that's one of the points that I, you know, being the national organization that, that works with all of you all, uh, when I travel and you inevitably get into that converse, that awkward conversation with the person next to you on the plane, like, oh, what do you do? And then you tell them and they get very uncomfortable. And I'm like, well, let me, let me make something very clear. Like our members are the administrators right. of tax. Right. They are not yeah. the inventors of exactly. tax. Like it's a very different concept. If you're uncomfortable with your tax code and how it's structured, but that's, that is a great conversation for you to have with your elected official, with your legislators. Once that decision has been made, then it's handed off and, and you all sit in this this space, and that, I, you know, that's why I called it an art and a science earlier. Like Rebecca, you pointed out really good data metrics, right? You have to understand data, DIA, you have to understand privacy law and regulation. Revenue agencies exist in this kind of funny space where all the polls that you take generally about government generally rate lower on the trust scale, right? People trust Apple to make their iPhone more than they trust government to, you know, do things that government does. But then when you dig deeper into revenue agencies, what I find always really fascinating is the level of implicit trust between the taxpayers and the revenue agency that when you file a tax return, when you submit payment information, when you meet your tax obligation, that that information is going to be protected, secured, verified, that there's a, a high degree of trust there. And you know, I'm usually the one in those big data conversations people say, and I'm like, yeah, but look at the revenue data because that's really great. <laughs> you know, other other agencies can take the blame for for bringing us, you know, bringing our average down because that's there's a respect there for the constituent that I think exists inherently in tax that you don't see everywhere. Well, I think the other part of that is what so much of what we administer are trust fund taxes, and so. When the taxpayer doesn't have trust in your organization, you're like in trouble. Um, and I think, you know, that's why when we're talking about like an enforcement story, it's it's really about I my job. It is not fair for someone to not, you know, to to not pay their taxes. It's not fair to you as the taxpayer. That is why we do enforcement. That's why you might get a random letter that's asking you for extra information. And it's not that you did anything wrong. It's that we want to make sure that everyone is doing their fair share. So it's a different message than um, we don't trust taxpayers and therefore we're going to check all their information. Right. It's really about creating fairness and equity across the system. And, and as Dia pointed out, being the authority. And I think in some ways, again, it's how you present yourself. What like when we we present ourselves as thought leaders that we, you know, as professionals, I think is a great way to put it. Like, you know, it commands respect and we make sure that like we continue to earn it, you know? And I think what's, this actually is a good segue into kind of the next kind of question I wanted to chat about, which is what's something that you didn't expect or that surprised you when you started working with revenue? Because both of you have kind of public sector experience prior to ending up in a revenue agency and revenue agencies are they're kind of they're, they're different they they operate differently um probably because of a lot of the additional restrictions and regulations put on them but 
you know, what's something that kind of jumped out at you or maybe looking back was an interesting uh, observation or surprise that you had to navigate? The thing that surprised me is how, you know, one of my early assignments, I basically used um, a retail ad and sort of retailored the stock photo and retailored the message for us. And it looked beautiful. It looked beautiful. And we sent that out as an electronic newsletter and it bombed. It absolutely bombed. Like people were so mad. And uh, I learned a lot of lessons in that particular, like I think it was like in the first two months of my time at Revenue. And um, you j just stick to the facts, make it look like government-y. Um, and that is actually proven. I sat on a panel at a behavioral science policy conference and I think it was Singapore said that they developed beautiful, um, beautiful materials and, and people just all thought it was ads. If it's too slick, it looks like an ad, they're going to throw it away. So it has to be a little bland for people to take it seriously or believe that it's from government. So one of the things, I'll say two things surprised me. Um, the first was I didn't realize how much I did not know about revenue. <laughs> I had no idea about the number of taxes that the Department of Revenue um, manages each year, right? Uh, 23 different types of taxes. In my mind, because I only paid individual income tax and I knew about business tax, I mean, there was a there, limited number had no idea how much I didn't know. And so part of these first couple of years has really been a learning curve for me and understanding that there will always be more that I need to learn. The other thing is how important it is how you view your taxpayers because that will determine how you engage with your audience. So I'll give you an example. Um, my secretary or the tax commissioner we have, we call him the secretary in the North Carolina Department of Revenue, has this saying that I have adopted for myself. Regardless of how much money we're talking about, even if it's only $12.50, that $12.50 means something to someone, right? It may be part of a, a phone bill. It may be um, a prescription for that month. It may be um, an extra uh, bag of bread or whatever have you. And we have to approach everything we do from the top to the bottom, to the people who answer the telephones and everything in between with that mindset and so much more so with how we communicate. We always have to show that we are caring about our taxpayers regardless of who they are. That's a great point. I think that's something that speaks to the what I've noticed in, in working with revenue agencies all over the country the humility and the the humbleness of a tax administrator. There is, you know, I think this is true of, of most government 
jobs and most you don't you don't get into public service for you know for the money or the fame uh you you get into it because you care about people and especially in tax and revenue there's just this obligation and and love for the people that that exist within your jurisdiction whether it's a state whether it's a city and you want them to be compliant right and, and the and the order of operations and tax for people who are listening who don't know right voluntary compliance is number one because if people follow the rules you don't have to engage them or talk to them or as much then you have people who are potentially not voluntary voluntarily compliant but who can be nudged back into proper behavior and then hopefully you at that point have chipped away enough to where then you get to the people who really need the additional communication and work whether it's uh, intentional or unintentional non-compliance. And that's the technical part, but at the end of the day, seeing residents and constituents as, as people and understanding that this is something that we all do, you know, tax administrators also pay taxes and we want to be treated just as fairly as, as we want to treat other people. I think that's a, it's a powerful statement. I like I like that. Secretary Penny has a, quite a number of those phrases, and I always f find myself making notes because in the middle of a of a conference session or a panel or a phone call, he'll he'll break one out, and I feel like I have to write them down immediately. He's 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 full of uh, governmental leadership proverbs, and I I love that about him. So, so every agency is resourced differently for this kind of work. I, Rebecca, you mentioned like sometimes you just kind of have to get lean and scrappy in order to get something done. That's not only speaks to, you know, a level of innovation and willingness to experiment, but it also speaks to resourcing because government's not always resourced and revenue agencies aren't always resourced like you would expect given that they bring in the vast majority of the revenue for, for a jurisdiction. So let, could you tell me about your teams and tell our listeners, like, how is your team structured? How many people work on this work in your agency? Just to give people an idea, I know, you know, they're getting to know both of you today, but there's, you know, you both are, are the tip of your respective icebergs. There's, there's some other, other elements to the machine. So Rebecca, let's start with you and then we'll ask Dia about hers. Well, I think just before I say, get to that, I want to just stress, like when we do interviewing for positions, trying to gauge someone's ingenuity is like top on my list. Like being able to figure something out, find the free tool, like find the like, whatever, you know what I mean? Like how can you use the stuff that we have at our disposal to do the best job that we can possibly do? And I, my, it's my personal mission as like, you know, a creative person generally is that every single thing that we put out from city government should look as professional as it can possibly look. Right, like, uh, you know, like, I, I think we're all past the clip art phase yeah. of government, but I mean, you find somebody who's doing something nutty and, yep. <laughs> you know. Clip art and comic sans. We, let's, let us let, let us all vote, take a vote on this podcast today that clip art and comic sans. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm going to, I'm going to put in a plug for comic sans. Okay. I'm going to put in a plug for comic sans. Um, so for folks who um, who have dyslexia, Comic Sans is actually a really great font for them because it's not symmetrical letters. And oh, I love that. Yeah, it's really like um, it's it's actually like all the design geeks who want to talk 
negatively about Comic Sans, it does have a place and it, it can help some portion of your population. I love Thank that. I'm, that. I'm a little bit of a font nerd and the fact that I didn't know, I, I'm I'm very impressed with that yes. factoid. That's interesting. So, okay, Comic Sans, well, we, I've heard... we love you. Welcome yeah. back to the party. <laughs> We're so sorry we asked you. <laughs> you know, basically, you know, you are going to hire and somebody's going to bring something, right? It's going to be graphic design. It might be video production. It it might be something, but like he happens to be bilingual and he happens to be a native Spanish speaker and he's from Puerto Rico, which is important because the largest <clears throat> Hispanic population in Philadelphia is Puerto Rican. And um, he comes to us from uh, with TV experience, Puerto Rican television, and also government experience. He worked in a mayor's office also in Pennsylvania. And so that you know, he could have come to us and been like some sort of Adobe Photoshop superstar and it would be just as great, right? He just happens to have great video experience. It's something that we want to expand on. We want to make our videos look great and he's, he's awesome. We also have somebody who coordinates all the outreach, that public facing, tabling events, uh, <clears throat> community conversations. That person interfaces often with elected officials constantly. They know to call her. Um, she organizes like volunteers within our organization. She can't go to every event. We do 350 a year, but she's actually pulling from other units, people who have the aptitude and interest in getting overtime and, um, and can speak to a group and, and not be weird about talking to the public. Um, we also have a social media editor. They, they manage, um, X or Twitter as it may be known, um, and LinkedIn and um, Facebook. And we think very strategically about those audiences. And we've thought often, like, should we be doing WhatsApp? Like, you know, a lot of immigrant communities use WhatsApp. Is that something we should be getting into? How would that work? Um, I don't want to do TikTok. It's a personal, like, I just don't want to, like, we can barely hold it together with what we've got going on. But maybe that's something we need to evaluate. Should we put our energy into something else? We don't do Instagram partially because nothing about revenue is excitingly visual. Um, so, so we just, you know, like if you're the park, if you're Parks and Rec or, you know, you've got great photos of kids and libraries and whatever, you know, it's, you know, you can, you can make that work, but we can't do that. Um, we also have a digital editor, and the digital editor is somebody who manages our website content, um, our blog posts, they do the electronic newsletters. They manage our annual audit of our website. They dole all that information out to the subject matter experts, get it all back, make sure it's all up to date. Um, and we also have a technical writer who is in charge of managing all of the department's letters. So as many jurisdictions have done, they have done uh, modernization. And part of that process is like, no, you may not have a Word document on your desktop that you send to taxpayers. Like it must be the official thing that is in the system and it will be plain language, right? So she's in charge of managing that process and making sure that we've reviewed our letters. It is, it is a never ending thankless task. And I think that the person who's in that job just has to, just has to have a special sort of personality to persevere when like nobody wants to talk to you. <laughs> like, like 
you know, it's her job to really call that information and keep and keep asking the like yes and like improv question, like, well, what happens if they have a question? Like, who did they call? And 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 where can you find the other information? And it's all the things that like all of the you know the accountants are just not going to think about, you know. And it's her job to like really push and poke about well, if anybody just got this, will they understand it? So that's that's pretty much what we what we've got going on. I mean, we might have some people kind of move in and out of the space, but I would say generally speaking, and don't tell anybody this else this in Philadelphia, but I mean, I think that this, the Department of Revenue has one of the most robust communications units in city government, partially because we, we've, we've made the case that it's important. Like we've made the case that we, you can't just have program administrators like you actually have to have communicators and i think we were the first department to have a digital editor to manage our website and and now that position is all through the rest of city departments and you know we've really worked hard to to build that within our political landscape awesome trailblazer yes yes so ours is set up a little bit differently i'm going to kind of follow your structure rebecca and um, start off by talking about when we hire people. My favorite question to gauge somebody's creative ability and ability to think creatively on the fly is how would you describe the color yellow to a, a blind person? Mm. What's the best answer you've gotten? <laughs> Telling people, and I have to remind them, we're talking about you're describing it to a blind person. And so I've gotten wonderful answers like the feel of the sun on your skin, um, things of that sort. I've gotten a nice variety of answers, but the one that's my favorite was the feel of the sun on your skin. Uh, and it always makes people take a beat from these pre-packaged answers that they've been practicing and come up with something. Make, just takes them off their... Um, their thought path so that they have to move over, just nudge them a little bit differently. And then what I found is that the conversation kind of relaxes after that because I've taken them out of that, oh, I've got to answer this question this specific way mode in an interview. And so it allows us to have more of a free-flowing conversation and things of that sort. My team is built of, uh, so I've got me as the director, I have an internal comms specialist who really works with the various divisions within the department on um, the intranet and just making sure that we understand, uh, making sure that the information is plain speak, right? Um, and this person spends quite a bit of time dealing with projects that are going on within the department that are going to impact how work is going to be done, a change of process, things of that sort, and uh, making sure, again, that it's plain speak, that um, the specific project manager has thought about the various audiences, um, the various messages that need to be crafted for the various audiences, and when is the best time to launch those messages. We have a social media coordinator who oversees our five social media outlets. Um, we did have TikTok, but <coughs> the governor said there will be no TikTok on any state-owned platforms. 
So that was fine. So we have Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, um, LinkedIn, um, Threads, and uh, why do I feel like I'm I'm missing one? Uh, and Twitter, which used to be X, which is now X. And so I am going to beg to disagree with you a little bit, Rebecca, on there's nothing particularly wonderfully engaging with photos when it comes to revenue. Because one of the things we're doing, one of our um, programmatic, programmatic thrusts is helping taxpayers understand how their tax dollars are reinvested into state services that benefit all residents, even if it is going to the zoo. And so that's one of the um, more fun projects we worked on where some of our staff members, I think two or three of our staff members, went to the North Carolina Zoo and interviewed the, uh, the staff, the director and some of the staff, and engaged with some of the visitors to talk with them about, hey, did you know your taxpayer dollars are used to support this? And the state of North Carolina is one of only two states in the country that actually has a state-supported zoo and the red wolf population and things of that sort. And so we are getting a lot of mileage out of that. And we then share that video and those social media posts. We tag the North Carolina Department of Public Instruction, the North Carolina um, Recre um, uh, Cultural Resources um, Department, as well as the North Carolina Zoo, who then tags people who are on their donor list. Right. So we get a lot of mileage out of these things. And that's one of the things we always seek to do is once we create whatever type of asset it is, how much life can we get out of it? How many places can we use it? How often can we put it before various audiences and numerous eyeballs? So, um, yes. Yeah, so we have our social media coordinator who does that, our internal comms specialist I mentioned, our digital media coordinator, who basically oversees and makes sure that our equipment is up to date and things of that sort, any of our digital comms. And that includes video, photography, audio. Um, and we work with other departments that have a, uh, a webmaster for the Department of Revenue. And so we work with other divisions within the department for some of the tasks that you mentioned. We work with our HR department and that has a, a unit that is dedicated to interns, uh, um, uh, recruiting interns. We work with them to get out there in front of audiences and, and talk to interns and as well as to uh, go to job fairs and make sure they have what they need for these various tabling events. We have a, a graphic artist and a motion graphic artist. And we got these two different people. Um, they were initially interns with the North Carolina Department of Revenue, our public in, within my unit, my, within my division. And we liked what Ray and Piper were bringing to the table so much because each of them was bringing a different facet of how we could communicate. And they're in college and they are talking, they, they know how to reach the audiences that we're trying to get in front of 
a lot in order to help them to become compliant and remain compliant. And so we've been able to transition them to temporary full-time employees. And now we have a, uh, a, a generic or a general comms intern who is assisting with our intranet as well as language for our um, website and helping us to, to relaunch a newsletter that is geared toward, that's an internal facing newsletter. Um, and we're, we're gonna be looking for an intern to join us um, next summer to help us launch a podcast featuring our Secretary of Revenue and some of our other leaders. See, and I think that's hearing the structure of how your groups work. And thank you both for sharing that because I think you know the org chart of government is very uh, ambiguous and monolithic to most people. And so, you know, it, it, people, I hope people listening to this kind of got a couple takeaways. One, there's things as diverse as soda taxes and publicly funded zoos that benefit from tax and revenue. There's things that are as exciting as trying to reach and help, you know, communicate with people who may have a, a, a learning disability uh, or a language barrier or even a, a sensory uh, disability. I, I'm still, I'm shook by the, the you know, describing me the color yellow, you know, as, as if you were describing it to a blind person. That's what's a, what a great way to illustrate the creativity required to do this, this really impressive work. So we've, and, and, empathy. and empathy, is, and, yes. empathy. And, and the empathy aspect of it. Yes. And building, building that, that empathy muscle and, and kind of just how we look at communicating this important work that many people think is very technical and very cold and the tax collector. And this is it, it really, there's a warmth that your teams bring to helping people understand everything about tax and revenue, whether it's making sure there's a phone number on a letter. So if you have a question, you can make a phone call all the way through to helping you understand that, you know, the dollars that you, that you're, you know, and, and also telling the accountants, yeah, there needs to be a phone call, like a phone number. Yes. Like you can't hide behind whatever, like you need to be able to answer the phone, you know, like, so you're driving communications is driving like kind of, procedure in some ways. Yep. It's that check and balance on it. You know, mm -hmm. it's, and, and what I liked about what you were talking about earlier, Rebecca, one of your kind of, you know, looking for ingenuity, uh, many, many years ago, I had a professor who just basically said everything in the, your professional life, it doesn't matter what your major is, it doesn't matter what work you go into. Everybody's job is knowing what to do when you don't know what to do. That is, that oh, is the great. measure, yeah. that is the measure of work. And I say that quite frequently, uh, to people because, when people ask me, you know, you know, what do you do for a living? I'm like, I think I do what everybody does for a living. I, I know what to do when, when you don't know what to do. And, and that's because you have to know what, what's available to you, what resources are available to you. You have to know who to reach out to when you want to talk about government communications. And so that's um, what a great conversation today. I know we're, we're running up against time, but I do have one kind of one last question for both of you, which is to share something that you're excited about that you're working on right now. Tell us about a you know a project that you're allowed to talk about that people should stay tuned for, and hopefully um, some of the listeners will you know be interested in applying for internships or roles with uh, your teams here in the not too distant future. Um, well, a couple, and I'll keep them each very brief. Is uh, uh, as I said, we're looking to launch a podcast, and so one of our goals with going to different schools, and we do, we go to different schools and we talk with students to 
talk with him about becoming a, a servant leader in the area of communications uh, for government is um, we, we want to sh get them to bring their skills to us and help us figure out how to, how to use their skills to benefit the taxpayers and residents of our state. We are also working on a, um, a video that will have a sort of Dr. Susie kind of feel to it, which will be really using the skills of our, our motion graphics person and all of our staff um, to talk about paycheck withholdings and educate not only our current taxpayers, but our upcoming taxpayers and yeah, everybody who's going to work. Hey, who's this FICA guy? Why is government taking this? Why is this coming out of our check? And it might seem really basic, but it's something a lot of people don't really understand. And so we're very excited about that. And again, very excited about helping our residents understand where their tax dollars or how their tax dollars are being reinvested into state-funded services that benefit all residents of the state of North Carolina. Um, and then I will finally say um, all of our communications are developed with an eye toward recruitment. We use it as a soft recruitment tool no matter what the department is, because we are trying to showcase people the corporate culture, the professionalism, um, the diversity of the North Carolina Department of Revenue. And then our, a lot of our communications are designed to uh, humanize the, the, the North Carolina Department of Revenue. So we push out a lot of information or images or videos that showcase our employees volunteering here or volunteering there or engaged in this or engaged in that. Um, just to, and, and I, we do interviews with our leaders, our leadership, just so that people can understand, okay, this is not the big bad boogeyman who's coming to take my cat. All right. <laughs> These are actually people like me and like my neighbor, this person and that person that when I pick up the phone, I can have a conversation with and feel like I've got some type of connection with them because, hey, they like dogs. They volunteer here. They do things with children. They, you know, drop off food for the, uh, for, at, at shelters and donate to schools, things of that sort. I think it's a really good point, Dia, about pushing out pictures of your staff. And especially for us, because we want Philadelphians to know that the Department of Revenue looks like them, that we are all we are all in this together. So that's a very important message and and that like these programs aren't like weird or you don't have to have like a master's degree to figure them out. Normal people just do this stuff. Um, one of the things that I am really excited about now that we are like out of the chaos of COVID and um, trying to kind of get back to normal is um, getting back to some of the behavioral science work that we had done um, prior to the pandemic. You know, we were doing all kinds of interesting letter projects. Um, we have the opportunity to share some data or ha uh, to have a collaboration with the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. There is a low income uh, income tax refund that people qualify for at the state of with the Commonwealth. 
And if they qualify for that, then they qualify for a program in our city. And so we're working with them to do an outreach project to those folks who, who may be eligible for this program. But I think it's going to be a great opportunity to perhaps partner with you know, academics to kind of reinvigorate some of those like messaging pro pro uh, projects, you know, like does the bland letter work? Does the loss aversion letter work? Does the everybody's doing it letter work? You know, what's going to drive people to action? And I think, I think no matter what, I mean, given some of our previous experience, any letter, well, I'm hopeful will work, <laughs> but, but what is the message that really resonates? And I think that, um, Dia, I think I'm going to steal your um, your language around how this might not feel like a lot of money, but it could be like it's it's a trip to the grocery store, it's you know it's school clothes, it's you know whatever you know it's not a vacation to the Bahamas, but it's definitely like money in your page in your in your pocket. So um, that's I'm really excited about that project. Awesome. Well. From you know, the bottom of my heart, as always, thank you both for taking the time. Two exceptional leaders in the communication space. Uh, I, I liked the juxtaposition of you know hearing from how you know a city approaches this versus how a state approaches. I think there's you know obviously we heard some differences today, but the the common theme is that this is critical, important work. I hope everybody that takes the time to listen understands that a little bit better, and can't wait to have you both back in the future to talk about some of these fun projects. Uh, maybe even do a do a screening of uh, of Dia's Dr. Susian, uh, you know, paycheck uh, explainer. Listen, and we are going to be pushing some stuff up the ladder for awards. Like we are. Oh, yeah, good for you. you know, yeah, <laughs> you know, all of these agencies, these government agencies, and you know, local Emmys and things of that sort. We're doing some work that I think will qualify uh, in the digital media. Absolutely. Well, if anyone wants more information about either the North Carolina Department of Revenue or the Philadelphia Department of Revenue, take a visit to taxadmin.org, uh, FTA's homepage. Click Members, and you can find your way to both of their websites to find out about career opportunities and other chances that you'd have to work with Dia and Rebecca's teams. So, as always, thanks for joining us, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you all again real soon.